0: Hey, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name's Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's awesome to have you with us. Uh, Thanks for taking some time this morning. I want to say hello to those of you who are watching online today. Uh, I want to say hello to those of you in our parent viewing rooms. That's a great option. If you do have small children, you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, real quick, before we jump into the talk, we had a bit of a hiccup with our um, water baptism this week because uh, we were actually out. Uh, Friday evening, and I started getting like text messages and emails and Facebook messages, and from many of you saying, "Hey, I know we're doing baptisms at BB Lake, but BB Lake is closed because of high bacteria." And we went, "Well, what are we going to do?" So we went back to our roots, and we called the captain. <laughs> captain party time. <laughs> when <laughs> when we did uh, when we used to meet at the school, and we couldn't do baptisms in the building. We would call Captain Party Time, and Captain Party Time would scoot on up with his hot tub. We'd fill that sucker up, and we'd do uh, baptisms in the hot tub, and and right across the side it says, Captain Party Time, (laughs) and uh, and we'd be out there baptizing people and having a party. So uh, we called the captain, and he said, man, I can make it available for you. So we got it all set up. Uh, If you were like looking forward to the lake baptism, I totally understand that. Uh, However, we just felt like this was the best way for us to kind of pivot last minute. And uh, what was cool is the guy that runs Captain Party Time, his name is actually Ed, I call him the captain, but uh, he pulled up and we kind of got everything arranged and he goes, man, you know what? I am selling this business. Today is my last weekend ever. And he goes, it's so cool. He goes, we did this so many times with you guys when you were portable. It's so cool that this gets to be my last one with you guys again. And I was like, oh, that's awesome, man. And so uh, I saluted the captain and, uh, and he drove off. So uh, just really, really cool. So I just wanna encourage you, we are doing baptisms. It's gonna be after second service. And if you were like, man, I missed the sign up, I missed the memo, I still want to sign up, you, you have plenty of time uh, to go home, get some, get some dry clothes and uh, a towel or whatever and meet us right back here. It's going to be at, uh, what time is that? Noon. We're going to do it right at noon uh, because our, our second service ends at 1130 and then we'll start that right at noon. So uh, if you were interested and you uh, didn't sign up but you wanted to, you still can. Or if you signed up, don't go to BB. We'll be right out back. Okay. All right, now, uh, we started this series last week called You Matter, and I'm just going to give you the main verse of this series right up front. Uh, Everything around this series is based on something that Jesus said to his disciples. He said, I will build my church, and not even death will be able to overcome it. And so we've been talking about, starting last week, this thing called the church. Jesus predicted us. He predicted you and I. This is an incredible prophecy, and you and I are the fulfillment of this prophecy, It's actually pretty amazing. And that's that's why we titled this series, You Matter. Because you and I are the church. And the church matters. Jesus said it's going to be the thing he builds. And this idea of church is a group of people, a movement around this idea that he is God's son come to earth. And I got to tell you, I love the local church. Now, you might say, Of course you do, you're a pastor. But that would really be putting the cart before the horse because the reality is the reason I even became a pastor was because of how much I loved the local church and what a difference it made in my own life. If I'm being honest, that's really a big deal. The fact that I grew up as a pastor's kid and still love church. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, honestly, when you grow up as a pastor's kid, you see everything. I saw the underbelly of all of it, right? And I saw all the messed up people and all the inter- Political workings of a crazy church system, and and yet somehow came out and said, Nope, I still want to be a part of this thing. And I think there are some things in life that are worth fighting for. I think there are some things worth investing your life in. And I think the local church is one of them. I really do. Because when I think about the impact that the local church had on my life, I think it's safe to say that the local church saved my life. That's not an exaggeration. Now, I don't mean to say there's this huge intervention because I was getting into all kinds of trouble I shouldn't have been getting into. The church wasn't intervention for me as much as it was prevention for me. Because uh, a lot of times people say things like this, oh, I can't imagine what my life would be like if I hadn't grown up in the church. But the reality is I can imagine it. I, I know I would probably have gone down some, some pretty dark roads if it wasn't for the local church. And the things that were instilled in me as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, things that were instilled in me and and grounded in me as a part of being a part of a local church. And and the reality is this, I think there are three things, and I can't speak to everybody who's ever been a part of a church, I think there are three things in particular that when I look back on my life growing up as a pastor's kid, growing up in a local church, just being involved on whatever level, that it impacted me significantly in three huge ways. Uh, One is this, it informed my conscience. It just gave me a, a, a moral groundwork. It just gave me a, a moral compass. I avoided so many moral and ethical landmines because of the fact that the, the local church had an influence on the way that I saw the world, on the way that I saw my own behavior and my place in the world. And I, I was taught I should treat women the way that you would want someone to treat your sister. I just taught that. In, in fact, uh, many have shared this story before, but I'll say it again. And uh, when I was uh, growing up, my, my mom made me date her six times before I was allowed to date anyone else because she wanted to make sure that I knew how to treat a girl. And so I would literally, now this is, you know, back in the 1900s before cell phones. So I'd have to go somewhere else and I'd have to call her at our house on a landline and ask her out. She wanted to make sure I knew how to ask out a girl. And then I would have to plan the date and pay for the date. And they had to be all different. It couldn't just be like six movies. And she was like, nope, we'd, we'd go to church. My dad would drop us off in the minivan and, you know, he'd go and park the car. And my mom would stand by the front door of the church. And other people would walk by. And they'd be like, oh, do you, you? And she's like, nope, I got boys that need to learn how to open a door for a woman. This is how I grew up. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. I was taught that you treat others the way that Jesus treated you. It's just, it never occurred to me that I ever had the right to harm anybody else. Even if they harmed me. I grew up uh, pretty nerdy and didn't picked on quite a bit in school. And uh, I'd go to my dad and, uh, and, and my dad's like, listen, no matter what anybody does to you, you can't control what other people do to you. You can only control how you behave. That was informed by the local church. I grew up with that understanding. I was taught you never mistreat anyone for any reason. And having that ingrained into me as a young man informed my conscience. Here's another thing it did for me. It instilled a sense of purpose. When I grew up in church, I just felt like I was created on purpose for a purpose. It was never a question that there was something that you were, you weren't an accident. It was just ingrained into me as a kid that you have something to offer in this world and that you're a part of something that is bigger than yourself and you shouldn't live your life only for yourself. And it just, it just instilled in me a sense of purpose. God had a role for me to play. And frankly, there were a lot of times where I didn't want to know what that was. But the thing that kept bringing me back was that I had this sense of purpose. I had a, I had a part to play in something that was bigger than myself. And to just live for yourself makes you a tyrant who is never satisfied if you're always just living for yourself 100 percent of the time you realize pretty quickly in life that leaves you pretty unsatisfied and so i just learned early on you have a sense of purpose god created you on purpose for a purpose and you should figure out what that is and you should get busy giving your life for that thing and that was that was informed by my participation in a local church here's the third thing it did for me it taught me to be generous I I just grew up with this understanding, not just to give, but how to be generous. When I was a kid, I was trained to be generous. I was trained to, uh, it's kind of a churchy word, but to to tithe, which means a 10th or 10%, which is what we do as a church. It's what our family does personally. It's something we've always done. And it's not because I'm a great person and it's not because I'm a generous person naturally. It's because the church taught me the habit and the practice of generosity. And the church taught me how to live open-handed, how to, how, to, how to recognize, God, everything I have has been entrusted by you. And so I'm going to return a percentage of that back. And that's just what was modeled for me and what was taught to me. It's a declaration. Okay, our dependence isn't on our bank account, on what, you know, what we can see in the numbers, because that can come and go so quickly. Our dependence is on the God who richly provides for all of our needs. I was just taught that. And so consequently, I was taught what we have always taught here at Westbridge Church. Give, save, live. Uh, Every time money comes to me, the first thing I do is give back to God and then I save and then I live on the rest. Give, save, live, give, save, live. It's the wisest and best way to live when it comes to your money. It just never even dawned on me from an early age that I ever had the right to live on 100% of what came to me. To make the assumption that if it comes to me, it must be for me. I just never lived with that mindset, and I never thought that way. And again, the message and the mission of the local church taught me that. And so following Jesus has made my life better and made me better at life. And the local church informed those things for me. It's the thing that Jesus promised to build. Again, here's what he said. I will build my church, and not even death will be able to overcome it. And so that's why every year during this time of year, as we're heading back into the school year, and I just want you to know, uh, I know that even, it's amazing what happens as we get into August, uh, we start getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And so uh, you need to know in three weeks, we're going back to three services. So you got to adjust your times a little bit, because if you're used to coming at this, uh, at this time at nine o'clock, uh, that's going to shift to eight, nine 30 and 11. So you're going to have to figure out which one we're going to go to there. But, but We do this series every time, every summer during this season because we wanna remind ourselves of the purpose of the church. Because it can become so easy to allow ourselves to drift off mission and to allow the mission and the message of the church to become secondary to other things that are going on in life. And I never want us to get so comfortable with where we're at that we forget to be on mission and on message. That we are an outward facing church that is a bunch of people as messed up as we are, helping other people find and follow Jesus. And so we want to be on mission. On mission just means this. This is the mission Jesus gave the church. Go into all the world and tell everybody the good news. We want to be on mission. And we want to be on message. That God so loved the world that he sent Jesus into this world. That whoever puts their trust in him, whoever says, yes, I I recognize you are the one who has come from God, that they will live forever as a part of God's family. That they will not perish or they will not die or the word really is they will not be lost to God, but they will enter into relationship with God. And so we wanna be on mission. We wanna be on message. And so we want to do that. And when people walk into Westbridge Church, we want them to experience this. I I never want people to leave Westbridge and go, I love Westbridge Church. If If that's what happens, we've missed the mark because the goal is to point people to Jesus. I hope people walk out of Westbridge and go, man, I love Jesus more. I wanna follow Jesus more. Well, whatever they're doing when it comes to Jesus, I wanna be a part of that. And so that's what we've been doing for the last 17 years. And for us to continue to do that, we are heading into an unprecedented season here at Westbridge Church. I've, I've never seen more guests walking through our doors. I've never seen more people showing up in the summer. I've never seen the potential that we have in this community and in this region as they're building home after home after home after home and family after family are moving into this area. And people are moving into this area. We have an opportunity to be on mission and on message for the people that are moving here. But to keep doing that, to keep doing that, we need a whole bunch of you to step up and join the mission and join a serving team. And so you see a bunch of people with shirts on today that say, say yes, that's because we are making no attempt to hide our mission of brainwashing you today. (laughs) We're just out front with it. So today, I'm going to use all of my persuasive power to get you to say yes to a serving team here at Westbridge Church. And I'm not going to try to hide it. I'm not going to disguise it. I'm going to tell you right up front, this is what I'm doing. This is the pitch, okay? So in your back of your seat in front of you, you have something that looks like this. It is a card that says, say yes. I would encourage you to grab that right now. Grab one out and uh, take a look at it. You can ignore me the rest of the time if you're looking at this. That's great. I'd rather you look at this. You're like, I'm just going to be reading this stuff here. This gives you a bunch of opportunities to serve. Now, we also have a bunch of say yes in the lobby. If you're more comfortable talking to somebody in the lobby, you can go after service, get some questions answered. Or you might go, I know exactly what I want to do. I want to sign up for this right here. And you check it and you just drop it into one of the giving stations, put your info on the back, and we'll make sure and get in touch with you this week. And here's some great opportunities that we've never had uh, before. One is uh, we're actually uh, starting something with, uh, we want to make sure that we're prepared and planned for when uh, kids come in who have special needs. We want to make sure that we can receive those kids and love them well and serve their families really well. And so we have a a volunteer team that's going to be starting up of people that say, I'll come alongside and be a buddy to a, a child with special needs during service so that their parents can go to service and they know that their kids are being taken care of in a way that's accommodating to where they're at. And so that might be something where you go, man, that's kind of a niche that I'd love to to serve in. That's a passion for me. Uh, We've also got areas of uh, small group leaders. Small group leaders, particularly, we've got lots and lots of great groups and great studies and Bible studies, but particularly because we have so many families that participate here at Westbridge, uh, we need some people to go, you know what? I'd be willing to step up and be a small group leader for a young family. And where we get together and we kind of all of us are in that same age of life where we have kids and uh, we'd be willing, excuse me, willing to figure out how to do that. And so again, all of these are on here. You can just check that box, uh, check groups team, uh, check kids team, uh, whatever that is, and then put your info on there and drop it into one of the giving stations or bring it back to the say yes area right after uh, service. Now, here's why I say all that. When we first started Westbridge, there were 12 of us in a living room. And if this is what God can do, With 12 people in 17 years, imagine what God could do with the thousand of us who call Westbridge home in the next 25 years. I mean, imagine if there were zero spectators at Westbridge Church. Imagine what could happen. It's often been said that churches reflect a football stadium where there are 22 people on the field in desperate need of rest and thousands of people in the stands in desperate need of exercise. And the truth is, we don't want to be that. We don't want to reflect that. I'm becoming so convinced that God wants to do way more than we can even imagine. Because God is using the combined efforts of people in this room to build his church. And I'm going to sneeze here at some point, but when you look at... The collective, uh, the, the interesting to look at the kind of person that God uses. When you look at the lives of people in the scriptures that God used to accomplish his purposes in the world, it's unbelievable. You don't see the, the reverence and the holy and the angelic side of them. Uh, you see the disturbing parts of them. You see the sin. You see the humanity. You see the selfishness. And here's why. God always uses ordinary people. These are not superheroes that God's using. All through the scriptures, you see really flawed, really messed up people with issues and selfishness and their own humanity getting in the way oftentimes, and yet somehow God uses them. In fact, Luke records a story of uh, Peter and John, they're speaking before the council in Jerusalem, and when they're done speaking, here's what they say, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. The the council in Jerusalem saw them. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love that. They were unschooled. They were uneducated. They were just ordinary guys. And yet they just, there was something about, they were astonished. They couldn't believe that these ordinary guys could speak so eloquently about Jesus. And it's because of what Jesus had done in their life. And one of the unique things about Christianity, and one of the things that makes it so different from many other religions, is that in most religions, it's dangerous to talk negatively about anyone that they consider to be the prophet or the leader. In Christianity, you read through the stories in the scriptures of those who led the movement, and it's laughable. The failures are are, are pointed out left and right. There's a story in Numbers 22 uh, recorded about Balaam and his donkey. Balaam wouldn't listen. So God caused the donkey to speak out loud to give him God's message. He was ignoring God, ignoring God, ignoring God, and finally God opens, literally opens the mouth of a jackass and gives him the message. That's inspiring. Because God does that here every week? It's fascinating. In fact, you read the stories. Of the Old Testament prophets and the key people in the New Testament and and you find yourself wondering how in the world did this Jesus movement ever survive? When you look at the lives of some of his followers and some of the things they said and some of the things they did, you're just like how did this thing even make it out of the first century? It moved forward because of people who in their old lives were liars and deceivers and selfish and sexually immoral and selfishly ambitious and Detroit Lions fans and It's just the the biggest bunch of misfits you've ever seen. And it's amazing the kind of people that God works through to move his church forward. And yet there's one thing that all of these men and women spanning across continents and spanning across different generations all had in common. It wasn't their speaking ability. It wasn't their talent. It wasn't their qualifications. It wasn't their abundance of resources. It was simply one thing because God always uses ordinary people who make themselves available. God always uses ordinary people who simply make themselves available, who simply say this, okay, God, <clears throat> I'm available. God, I'll put a check mark on the box. I, I got a card in front of me. I'll check the box. Okay, I, don't, I don't know what I have to offer, but whatever it is, it's yours. You can use it. I don't feel capable. I don't feel trained. I don't feel confident, uh, but there is something that needs to be done. I'm willing to do it. I will make myself available. And the reason we sit here today and the reason that there is a church universal that we can be a part of is because in every generation, somewhere along the way, somebody stepped into the gap and said, I'm available. I don't, I don't know if I have the qualifications. I don't know if I can do everything that needs to be done, but if there's anything I have to offer, God is yours if you'll use it. And today I want to take a look at, <clears throat> excuse me, one person in particular that God used to do some amazing and miraculous things. His name is Moses. I'm going to read a few verses from this story, but let me set the scene first. If you've ever seen uh, the Ten Commandments, then you kind of know the story of Moses. If you've ever seen Prince of Egypt, you kind of know the story of Moses. But uh, the idea is this. The Hebrew nation, the, the, the children of Israel, have grown up and they've multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And it's many generations removed from uh, their ancestor, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name changes to Israel, which is where we get the nation of Israel. It's basically his descendants. And he has 12 sons and they became, become the 12 tribes. And as they multiply and multiply and multiply, they are, they're settled in the land of Egypt. And it's many years later. It's many generations later, and they've multiplied so much they're actually outnumbering the Egyptians. And this starts to frighten Pharaoh, and he puts them into slavery. So they're living as slaves, and they're living as slaves now, generation after generation after generation. So nearly 400 years of slavery. And then Pharaoh says they're still multiplying too quick, and so he he issues this command to have all of the newborn boys killed. And Moses is one of those newborn boys, and his parents hide him, and they actually put him in a basket and let him float down the river and tell his older sister to keep an eye on him. And it turns out that he is found by Pharaoh's daughter, and she adopts him and raises him as part of Pharaoh's household, Pharaoh's grandson. And so he grows up, even though he is Hebrew, he grows up living as a part of Pharaoh's family, he grows up as an Egyptian, and he grows up with all kinds of wealth and getting the best education. And he realizes at a certain point, though, that he's he's not Egyptian. He he recognizes, I live in the palace, I I live this life, but all of my fellow countrymen are s- slaves. And so he does his best to free them. He says, oh, I I know what to do. I'm going to free them. And so he actually strikes and kills an Egyptian. And realizing that he's been caught, he decides to flee, and he goes out on his own, and he leaves Egypt, and he leaves the, the nation of uh, uh, Egypt, and he leaves also the, the, the Hebrew people behind, just goes out on his own. He finds himself in a, in a country far away, becomes a shepherd, and 10 years goes by, and another 10 years goes by. Eventually, 40 years goes by, and Moses is now 80 years old, and he's living in the wilderness as a shepherd, and one day he's out watching his sheep, and he sees A burning bush and and it's burning but it's not being consumed it's just it's just burning but it continues to stay whole it's just mesmerizing to him and so he goes over and he's investigating this thing and when he does the Lord speaks to him from this burning bush this is what the Lord says to him the Lord said to Moses I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. And Moses must have been thinking, awesome. That's super encouraging. We've been crying out to you for a long time. You've heard it. I mean, that's so exciting. Why are you telling me? I have no idea what this has to do with me. I don't know if you remember this or not, but uh, it's been 40 years since I've been in Egypt. It's been a while. I'm out here alone. I'm taking care of some sheep. I'm 80 years old. I think that's great news. I think it needs to be done. I think you need to come down. I think you need to rescue your people. Why are we having this conversation? What does this have to do with me? Then God says this, next verse. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. (laughs) Time out, God. Uh, Hold on here. I don't know what Moses is thinking, but if I had heard what he just heard, I'd be like, didn't you just say, I've come down to rescue them, and now it kind of sounds like you said you need to go rescue them. And I don't know if you remember, but I tried that once, didn't go so well. That's the whole reason I left there 40 years ago. And so Moses responds, and he, he, he begins to protest. He says this, Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God says, and this answer doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Well, that clears it right up. It's like, okay. And Moses goes, "Uh, God, I've been there. I've done that. 40 years ago, I tried the whole rescue thing. That didn't go very well. Uh, And I think it's great that after 400 years, you've heard the prayers of your people. And I am all for the rescue effort. And I am going to be cheering you on. Yay, God. God says to Moses, no, I I want you to go. Moses, I realize that you love the idea. I I totally get that you're behind this conceptually. I recognize you're excited about the plan. I know that you love that it's going to take place, but I want you to be personally involved. And you get the idea from the story that Moses really wants to obey God, but he has some major hesitation. Why him? Why now? How's it gonna happen? And I think Moses said uh, to God what any of us would have said to God. "Uh, Who am I? I think it's a great idea. I think you got the wrong person. I think it's a really great idea. I think it's a fantastic idea. I think it needs to happen. I'm all for the concept. But I'm not the person to get personally involved. And throughout history, the men and women that God has used in significant ways are men and women who humbly say, God, if you can use me, I'm available. I'll do it. I don't feel like I have a lot to offer, but whatever I have, I'll do it. I'm available. Whatever I have comes from you, and I'm willing to use it however you want me to. And these are the men and women who changed the world. These are the men and women who have linked together this incredible story of God's love for humanity from the Old Testament to the New Testament all the way to today. And God basically responds to Moses' lack of self-confidence and says, hey, I'm going to be with you, and one day you'll worship me back at this same mountain, which is a confusing verse. And God is saying this, look, Moses, there's going to come a day when you will be standing right here again. Right here in this exact same spot. And behind you will be all of the nation of Israel and half of the wealth of Egypt. And on that day, I don't want you to miss the fact that it wasn't you and your qualifications and your amazing skills and all of those things that made it happen. You're gonna recognize on that day, you're gonna be standing right back here, the nation of Israel behind you, half the wealth of Egypt behind you, and you're gonna recognize this is what God did. This isn't what God did because of me, this is what God did through me, because I made myself available. And I don't want you to miss the fact it really wasn't you, and it really wasn't your talent or your ability or your resources. One day you're gonna be standing here again and a couple of million people behind you, and I don't want you to miss the fact that I did this. And 17 years ago, almost to the day, we sat in a living room in St. Michael with 12 people, and we asked and talked about what we believe would be the future of Westbridge Church and we said this a church that would allow people to come as they are not as a cute slogan that went under a postcard but when you say come as you are that we really really mean it come as you are but then we walk with people so that they don't stay as they are that we go god accepts you as is but he loves you too much to leave you as is and so we help each other as we move forward to become everything God's created us to be. We talked about a church that was marked by friendliness, marked by God's grace. We talked about a church that would be laser focused on keeping the message of Jesus accessible for everyone. And we're seeing that happen. And as we, as we look around, it's happening in our midst. And if we're smart, just like Moses, we will realize the promise Jesus made to build his church is happening, and we get to be a part of it. And we'll recognize it's something that God is doing, and we get to jump in. And if we're going to continue to see that happen, then we've got to wrestle through the same thing that Moses had to wrestle through. Here's the question all of us have to ask. Will I get personally involved? I, am I going to be like Moses and go, man, I love the concept, but I think you got the wrong person? Or will I say, look, in spite of the fact that I don't always feel qualified and I don't always feel like I've got all the, the right skills, or, but God, I'll make myself available. And we said this last week. The church is built on the schedules of busy people. There is nobody who serves on a volunteer team who is not busy. They just go, but I'm gonna carve out time and make myself available. And here's why I'm telling you this story, and here's why it's so relevant for us today. Because like Moses, we're excited about a concept. We love the idea of creating a church where you can truly come as you are. Nobody's against that idea. We love the idea of creating a church for the nearly 80% of people in our area who aren't connected to any type of faith community. We love the idea of, of of an environment that makes it easy for you to invite your friends, to invite your neighbors, to invite your family members, to invite your coworkers. We love the concept of that. There's an excitement about this church. I love that. When I talk to people, it's great to know that people are behind us. There's a sense that God is moving and that God is up to something. You know what I love? I love the fact that my kids enjoy church. I love the fact that my kids are growing up as pastor's kids and that they love church. They love being here. They love hanging out. They love the community. They, they, they love Jesus as a result of the church, that the things that were implanted into me as a kid have been implanted into my kids. That these seeds were planted at an early age and they've grown and they've taken root in their hearts. That the love of Jesus has taken root in the hearts of my kids. I love that. Do you know why that's possible? Because so many of you volunteered and served and taught my kids when they were coming up and growing and going through everything. My, My youngest is nine years old. And so he's having those seeds of God's love planted deep in his heart right now. I love that. I love the fact that a bunch of people wave to you as you drive in. I love it. When, people, when, when we ask people, what did you love about the church? It must have been like the worship or the message. And they're like, no, someone waved to me. I'm like, great. I love that. I, I love the fact that people hold the door open and say hi as you walk into the building. I love the fact that people check in kids and there's ushers handing out programs. And there's music that's inspiring us, that points us to something bigger than ourselves. The, the music and the words paint a backdrop to remind us that God is who he is and that God is, his, is vast and that he is bigger than any of us. And yet he's concerned with the minute details of our lives because of his love for us. I love the fact that we don't just give a bunch of information but that we are a community of messy people helping each other grow from wherever we happen to be. I love the fact that kids learn and are loved here at Westbridge, that we are partnering with parents. If you're a parent, regardless of where you stand with the whole Jesus thing, it's, it's healthy for you to be a part of a faith community. It'll inform your kid's conscience. It'll give them a sense of purpose. It'll teach them to be generous. I mean, I love the fact that this church is for people who don't typically like church. I love when people come in and they're like, I didn't know church could be like that. Hell of a talk, preacher. (laughs) It's my favorite comment ever. I I love the fact nobody gets turned away at this church for any reason. I love when you walk into a classroom, there's volunteers sitting, playing, teaching, hugging, high-fiving your kids. I love the fact that people will meet all over the Northwest suburbs in smaller groups and they'll connect with each other eyeball to eyeball and they'll dig into life together and they'll help each other move forward in their faith journey. Folks, I think that what we do here is a really, really, really good idea. And it was started by Jesus himself. And I know most of you think so too. I love that we are committed to being on mission and on message. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. I want to challenge every single person in this room and every single person watching online. I want to challenge every single one of us who loves the idea of a Westbridge church, who's behind it conceptually, to get involved in it personally. We need you. It doesn't work. Without everybody, I know you love this church. That isn't even the question. We all love and appreciate what God is doing here, but if it's gonna continue to happen, if we're gonna be able to continue to be on mission and on message, then each of us needs to get personally involved because Westbridge Church is not a cruise ship. It's a rowboat. <laughs> and we need everybody rowing in the same direction. And some of you are not only not rowing, you're, you're hanging out the side causing drag. And so I'll use my oar to kind of hit your knuckles a little bit and help you get going. And folks, here's the deal. There is an enemy of your soul. There really is. The scriptures talk about this, and he wants to rob you of joy and purpose in this life. And here's the strategy. He's going to keep you busy doing all the things in your life that seem good and that seem really important, and you'll miss what is best and what is eternal. And you will spend and waste your life on you instead of giving your life away, investing your life in that which will never fade away. As a matter of fact, Jesus not only taught this, he modeled it. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is talking with his followers and he instructs them and says, look, here's how the rest of the world views significance. Here's how the rest of the world finds their life to be full. They discover fulfillment or significance through power and through authority, but not so with you. In the Jesus way, it's all backwards. It's all upside down. In, in, in God's kingdom, God's kingdom, The way to significance is to serve others. And then he would say this, for even the son of man, which is a reference to himself, he says, even the son of man came not to be served. He's like, guys, I didn't come here so that other people could serve me. I'm not your typical king that comes and says, all right, everybody serve me. He goes, everything in the the Jesus way, everything in God's kingdom is, is flipped upside down. He goes, so even though I'm the king, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life to liberate many people. He says, I I came in here to serve other people and you want to find the path to significance, the path to fulfillment? It's in serving others. And here's what I know. One day, you got a mailer. One day several years ago, one day a couple years ago, or you received an invitation from a friend, or you saw a sandwich sign out on the street, or you looked up non-denominational church that's not a cult on Google (laughs) and somehow found us. And you walked through these doors, and a volunteer waved to you as you drove into the parking lot. And you went, oh, that's nice. And a volunteer held the door open for you and said, good morning, glad you're here. And you went, oh, these guys could teach Walmart a thing or two. (laughs) And you went and picked up a cup of coffee that was brewed by a volunteer. And you enjoyed that cup of coffee, and another volunteer sat crisscross applesauce with your four-year-old. And sat in a circle and and your four-year-old learned Jesus wants to be your friend. And that seed got planted in their heart. And the anchor of God's love was planted deep in the heart of your kid at an early age. And you joined in with music that was led by some volunteers. And you were able to sing words because they were put up on the screen by a volunteer. And then your seventh grader said, man, can we go back to church on Wednesday night? Because they connected with a volunteer who's a small group leader who said, hey, we do youth ministry here on Wednesday nights. If you're a follower of Jesus, in knowing how the body of Christ has impacted your life, what possible reason could we give that would ever be good enough to not get involved and to not say yes and give that same gift to the next person that walks through our doors and accepts an invitation and shows up to Westbridge Church? See, In a couple of weeks, we're sending out 90,000 mailers with people moving into this area. We're already trying to figure out where will we put people in three services. And so we're already getting creative and going, when three services fills up, where do we put people next? And we're, we're working through that already. And we want to make sure, man, people matter to God. I'm telling you. Your friends your family, your coworkers, your neighbors. There's nothing more that God wants than for them to know how much he loves them. And when they walk through these doors, we wanna be ready for them. We wanna be ready. We wanna be ready to serve. We wanna be, be ready to serve kids of all ages. We wanna be ready to serve people of all ages. We wanna just, we want people in our community to know this matters so much to us. You matter so much to God that you matter to us, and we're willing to take the time and make ourselves available so that we can create environments where we want you here and we're ready for you. When you say yes to serving others, you become a part of every single one of those stories. You get to be a part of those stories. You you are a small link in the chain that makes up the, the story of every person's life. In 1 Peter, Peter's writing to people in the first century. He says this, God's given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Use what God's given you to serve others. So here's what I'm going to say. If you're grateful for what happens here, but you're not fully engaged in the process currently, we need you. You are the church. Would you please say yes to a serving team? And if you're watching online because you love what happens here, but, you know, you, you've engaged, you're engaged in the process, but you're doing it from an online, and you go, man, you know what? I could show up and make myself available and jump into a serving team. We need you. You are the church. And if you're able to do it, we'd love to have you join a serving team. And if you've been engaged, but the craziness and the fun of summer has caused you to become somewhat disconnected and somewhat disengaged, discon- we need you. You are the church. Would you say yes to a serving team? And here's the thing. When everybody does something, nobody has to do everything. When everybody just does their part, when everybody does something, it ensures that nobody has to do everything. And what happens in churches oftentimes, I've seen this so many times, is that 20% of the people are super committed and they do 80% of the work. And if you did that with your body, you would look like a professional arm wrestler. You ever seen those guys? Skinny everywhere, but this arm is this big. And the body just looks out of whack. And we don't want 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. But when everybody does something, then nobody has to do everything. And that's how the kingdom of God, the church, is designed to work. So if you love what happens here at Westbridge Church, will you make the commitment to say yes, to be personally involved in it? Sign up on your insert card or go out and talk to somebody in the lobby that has a say yes t-shirt on. There's a bunch of tags out there. You can talk, ask questions, figure it out. But come on, let's do this together. And if you're exploring faith for the first time, The mission and the message of Jesus remain the same. Tell everyone the good news. And the good news is this, that Jesus came into this world to connect you with God. He allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. That means there is more to this life than this life. Death is not the end, and you have been invited to be a part of God's family. And if you've never said yes to that invitation... I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Just agree with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. I'm so grateful that you never walk away from me. Thank you for sending Jesus into this world. And I want to say yes to that invitation. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. Help me to put my trust in you and to follow you as best as I know how from this moment on. And then God, for every one of us, we love what you're doing here. Uh, We love that we get to be a part of a church that is on mission and on message and moving forward and outward facing and, and reaching people with this good news of Jesus. And I pray that you would help every single one of us who love the concept to take a step and get involved in it personally. And that collectively, God, that you would use our collective efforts to make a difference in our community and in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.